All right, well, congratulations to the uh, Tiffin Columbian football team uh, with a great season. All right, they uh, regional champions, and um, things didn't go out <laughs> this weekend the way they were hoping to, but still, made it to the state semis, and that's, uh, and that's just a really good... Also, I wanted to say uh, Mia Ingalls, she's one of ours um, here, part of, our, part of our church. Is she here? There she is. Oh, yeah, there she is. Okay. Um, but she, uh, she was at state last week for cross country uh, for Tiffin Columbian and did, did really well. So it's just uh, her dad's the coach. I'm sure he, he was the one that got her there, right? No. Okay. <laughs> but just, just want to let you guys know that, you know, um, we have a bunch of young people here that, are, that um, work hard at what they do. And we just got a bunch of young, good young people within our church family uh, that we love and they're out there doing things, you know. Um, so it's just it's just been fun to watch. Um, it's weird, and, and with Hopewell football too, it's just weird that with COVID and, and this year being kind of not normal, right? Um, around here, you guys have done really well in sports. So congratulations to all those all those kids. But as I was mentioning earlier, uh, Christmas is coming, right? And uh, it seems weird because last week it was like. 80s last Sunday, and now we're, we're you know gearing up. Now it feels more like Christmas outside, but uh, but uh, this year we're start we're doing a Christmas series called Wreck the Halls, just to stay in theme with uh, with the whole year, and so we thought that would be fitting. Uh, but before we get going on that, um, I wanted to fit in a uh, a quick series on the church. Okay. Uh, our church has been around, or at least here in Tiffin, this group of people. Uh, we've been around for just over a year, and we have many new people here, which is, which is cool, which is awesome. That's what we're all about. And, um, and we know that we got people from, that are really all over, over the map. Some of you, you've, uh, maybe you've been coming for just a few months, and you just started your relationship with God. And this is all like new to you, all right? You're still trying to figure everything out. You're straight, you know, you're, you'd be the first one to say is like, you know, I don't really know, I don't know the Bible like I should, and I don't know, you know, all this stuff. All I know is that Jesus died for me, and he loves me, and I want that relationship with him. That's cool. We're glad that you're here, and you need to keep on coming so you can hear the truth um, about, you know, the truth that we find in God's word. But then on the flip side, there's others of you who have, maybe you've been a Christian for, for decades, okay? Or we got some people in our church, they've been Christians for 70 plus years. And, uh, and you know, you've, you've read the Bible, okay? You've read the Bible many times, and the whole Bible. And, uh, and so for you, um, I feel like this series, all right, is good for both, all right? Both groups of people. Right, for new Christians, some of you guys are going to be like, wow, all right, I'm hearing this for the first time. I didn't, you know, I didn't really necessarily know what the church was actually supposed to be or what the church, how the church was supposed to function or what, what the church is all about. And others of you who have been Christians for a long time, this is what I know, is that we are messed up people and it's easy for us to get off track. And sometimes we need to, that's, what, that's why we don't read the Bible once and we're all done. All right, would be nice if it was that way, uh, but it's not. We always have stuff to work on. And so... Um, it's easy for us to get off track, and, I, and for us, I think sometimes we just need to remember what the focus of the church is supposed to be and, um, and kind of, you know, ignore some of the gray areas. But uh, so I th- feel like the series is good uh, for both. Uh, this past week, I was sitting in my office, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm like, what is like the main aspect of the church? Or what's the most important part of the church? And, you know, what makes the church the church? 
And I'm thinking through that, and I'm like, well, number, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is obviously the people. Okay, you can't have church without the people. That's what, that's what the church is. It's the, it's the people. It's a bunch of uh, Jesus followers coming together and, uh, and, and being together. That's what the church is. But, but just to kind of dive in a little bit deeper than that, it's, it's well, what are we centered, centered around? And the answer is we're centered around truth. See, we live in a world, a culture, a society that does not value truth. I mean, that's the honest, honest truth, right? Uh, it's uh, at, at least not in the traditional sense. See, our society and our culture tells us that truth is whatever you want it to be. Right? Whatever you want, is, want to be truth in your life, you're good. That, that, that can be truth. Or, but, you know, whatever you deem as truth is good for you, but it might be different for me. You know, it may not be truth for me, and we can have different truth, and we can believe in different things, and that's okay, and, and we're both right, right? That's what the world tells us. The world tells us you can't know real truth, that real truth doesn't exist. They say truth is subjective. I mean, that's what our schools are teaching. That's what our universities, our high schools, our middle schools, our elementary schools are teaching all around us. That's what they're teaching our kids, but that's not what Christians believe. I mean, the Bible is super clear. The Bible tells us that truth matters. First of all, it exists. And second of all, it matters, and it matters a lot. And unfortunately, there are churches all around us, and maybe some of you guys have attended churches like this, that aren't centered around truth. And as Christians, we should recognize, or at least be able to recognize, that that's a problem. See, during Jesus' public ministry 2,000 years ago, Jesus taught us that truth matters. Actually, he taught about truth a lot, all right? It was one of his main things. And in fact, Jesus, he pushed people to constantly make a decision about him based on truth. And even during his last 24 hours, as he was getting ready to die an excruciating death on the cross, he's pushing people uh, to have truth. And that's really what I want to look at really quick this morning um, is, uh, is kind of his last 24 hours. Uh, but... Um, and it started off the, with the week before. Remember Palm Sunday? We, we actually recapped this a couple weeks ago when we were talking about um, when they were trying to trap him with the taxes and just questions about that, uh, political questions. But uh, the week before is Palm Sunday. He comes riding into Jerusalem triumphantly. They're waving palm branches. They're, they're yelling Hosanna. They're praising him. They're, you know, and all the Jewish people, they're all pumped because they're like, hey, this guy, is he's the Messiah that, that we've been waiting for, that the Old Testament had promised us, the Old Testament prophets had promised us, and we've been waiting for it for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Like, this guy is it. And for them, what they're thinking is Jesus is going to come. He's going to save them. He's going to save them mostly from Rome. Right? They're thinking physically. Jesus was coming spiritually to save them. They didn't get that. All right, so they're like, we're going to rise up. Israel's going to be a nation again. We're going to overthrow Rome. This is going to be great because Rome owned them at this point in history. And so Jesus, he rides into Jerusalem. They're all celebrating. But the religious leaders, they hate it, and they want to kill him. But they don't kill him, or they don't try to kill him because they're afraid of the people. So Jesus, when he first gets into town, uh, he, he goes up to the Temple Mount, and he goes up into the temple, and what's he discover there? That, uh, that they've like chained, turned the temple almost into a marketplace, that they're selling stuff, they're buying things, there's, there's money changers there, um, they're, they're doing all this stuff, and Jesus, it really ticks him off. And so remember what he does, he goes, he starts flipping over tables. Have you ever tried to move somebody who doesn't want to move? All right, it's a little violent, okay? Jesus starts, he starts violently kicking these people out. Actually, he had done this once before at the beginning of his ministry, and John records this for us. He actually says that Jesus, all right, he, he makes a whip, all right? He like, he like, I don't know if you tie that or, you know, twist it or whatever. He makes a whip, and he starts whipping people out of the temple, 
all right, along with the animals and the people, right? That doesn't sound like the, the Jesus that we're used to, right? That doesn't sound like the Jesus that we look at in the pictures with the long flowing hair and he's wearing like a dress thing, you know what I mean? And he's always holding a lamb or something, you know, petting a lamb or doing something with a sheep. But, uh, you know, that, that the, uh, Jesus who's meek and mild, that's not who Jesus is. No, Jesus is forcing these people out of the temple, and he is angry. And when that happens, the religious leaders, they want to kill him even more because they're mess- he's messing up their system. And so for the next few days, Jesus, he's out there, and he's teaching throughout the city. And, and that's where we talked about a couple weeks ago where some of the religious leaders, they come up, uh, and they try to trap Jesus with the question about the taxes. And Jesus, he outsmarts them because you can't outsmart Jesus, obviously. And, uh, and the whole crowd is just amazed at him. And, and, you know, the religious leaders, they're all ticked off even more. And, and at the or at, kind of during the middle of the week in, in, on Thursday, Jesus celebrates this Jewish holiday called the Passover with his disciples in an upstairs room above somebody else's house. And, um, and that's the night that Judas takes off to betray Jesus. He's out there. He, he's with his disciples kind of doing a, you know, like a last-minute uh, uh, meeting with them. Just tell them, hey, something's about to happen. You guys don't know what's going to happen. It's going to get crazy. All right, this is what you, you know, have faith. Have, you know, don't, don't fear. He's just telling them all this stuff. And then afterwards, he takes three of his, like, top guys, uh, Peter, James, and John, and he takes them into a nearby garden just to pray. And remember what happens with that? Like, he comes back to them after a little while, and they're all sleeping. <laughs> You know, they can't keep their eyes open. You ever done, you ever, you ever, you ever done that where you're praying and then you fall asleep? Yeah, okay. A little rumble through the crowd. All right. It's like, yeah, sorry. Um, you know, so they all do it. Okay. And that happens three times. And Jesus is like, hey, I really need you to pray for me. I really need you tonight. I want you to pray. I'm going to go over here and pray by myself. And three times he comes back and they're sleeping on the ground. And the third time, as he's telling them that, it's too late because a, a crowd of, like a, a small mob of, of soldiers and angry people, they, they come into the garden led by Judas, one of his own men, and, uh, and, and they come to arrest Jesus. And this is how it goes in John chapter 18, verse 4. It says, then Jesus, knowing everything that was about to happen to him because he's God, okay, went out and said to them, he says, who is it that you're seeking? Now, isn't that a weird question? Like, he knows. Right? John tells us he knows. He's like, he knows everything that was about to happen. And he comes out, and he knows the answer. He's like, he's like hey, uh, who, who are you looking for? Right? See, what Jesus is doing here is he is forcing them to acknowledge what they're doing. See, so many people, they go through life without actually evaluating what they're going to do with Jesus. Right? So many of us, we go through life without evaluating truth. The truth on, on Jesus, and that's an issue. Right? You ever know somebody who doesn't like to make decisions? Okay, all right. It took a long time. You guys are deciding whether to answer or not. All right. Um, every week for staff meeting, uh, we, ha- we, we get to all the campuses, all the campus, each campus's staff, we get together at a central location in Fremont every week, and we have a big staff meeting. Um, after staff meeting, we always go out to eat, or most of us do, and so we jump in a church van, and we go somewhere in Fremont, and uh, usually, a lot of times I'm the one who's driving, and this is how it goes every single time. All right, I'm driving, and I'm driving down State Street, right, in uh, the main road in Fremont, and I'm, and I'm like, hey, so where do you guys want to go? Nobody answers. Nobody ever answers. It's really annoying, all right? 
Because, because yeah, you know, no one wants to say anything. And I know they all hear me. So I'm like, I'll ask them like 10 times. So where do you guys want to go? So where do you want to eat? So what restaurant are we going to? You know, you ask and ask, and then eventually you just got to pick, which is why I drive, all right? Um, so, but, uh, but sometimes it's just like, you know, it's just like everybody hears me, but they all, you know, but, but they all, you know, ignore. They don't, they don't want to answer. See, some people, some, some people are just like this where it's just, sometimes it's just easier not to, not to make a decision than to make one. You know what I mean? It's just easier. I don't want to get under anybody's skin. I don't want anybody to be, you know, annoyed by you if they disagree or whatever like that. See, people, they treat the decision with Jesus the same way. For a lot of people, it's easier to postpone a decision on Jesus than to actually make a decision on Jesus. And it's like, kind of like retirement, right? Many young people we know don't even think about retirement or don't start saving for uh, retirement. And so a lot, you know, what some, happens to some people, maybe even people in this, in this room, is you get to retirement age, and, and when that happens or when you haven't saved, you don't have anything if you haven't started saving for anything. Now, most people, at least from what I've seen, right, most people don't, don't think or don't say, you know what, I'm not going to save for retirement because I want to retire dirt poor with nothing, right? People don't usually say that. The answer is no. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, I need to stop asking you guys questions because I'm getting nothing from you guys. First service is so much more fun. I'm sorry. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Whoa, okay. I got that, that response. Um, but they do respond better, and that's on you, not me. But uh, anyway, but people don't think like that, right? People aren't going, oh, yeah, I can't wait to retire poor or retire with, with nothing or retire with a big house payment. Man, that would be so, so fun, right? It's just people, people they just never make the decision to save. And not making the decision to save on retirement functionally becomes the same as making the decision not to save for retirement. Does that make sense? So just being indifferent to it functionally ends up being the same decision as not saving. And that's what so many people do with Jesus. They just put the decision off. Ah, I'll deal with it some other time or I'll deal with it when I'm older. I'll deal with it when I don't got all this stuff going on in my life. In Jesus in this chapter in John 18, what we're looking at um, Throughout the entire chapter, I mean, it's like every person that he comes in contact with, I mean, he just, he's just like, where do you stand with me? Right? He pushes them to make a decision on truth because for him it's, it's to, to decide or because a, to not decide for Jesus is to decide against Jesus. In verse 5, it goes on. He says, Jesus of Nazareth. So he's asked him this question, right? He said, hey, um, who, who are you coming? He already knows the answer. He says, so they answer him. They say, Jesus of Nazareth, they answered. He says, I am he, Jesus told him. Judas, who betrayed him, was also standing with them. And when Jesus told them, I am he, they stepped back and they fell to the ground. What Jesus has done here is he has um, said that really well, he, he's, He's calling himself the God, okay? And he's pointing, all the Jewish people would have totally understand this, that he is pointing back to the Old Testament when Moses is having a, almost like an argument with God, like a conversation with God, where, uh, where with the burning bush, you know, he's talking with God. God's telling Moses, he's like, hey, I'm going to send you to Egypt. I want you to, to rescue my people. We're going we're gonna to bring them out of Egypt in this, you know, the Exodus, okay? And Moses is like, he's got all these 
things is why he shouldn't remember. He's just like, oh, I'm not a good speaker. Oh, I, you should, somebody else should do it. God, I don't, I don't really want to go. And then one of his last things are, well, what do you want me to tell him, God? Like, they're gonna, I'm going to go to Egypt with the, all the Israelite people, and they're going to go, who sent you? Like, which God sent you? What do you want me to say? You don't have a name. And out of the burning bush, God says, I am who I am. You tell him that. You tell him I am sent you. And so throughout all of Scripture, throughout all the Old Testament, okay, this has been like a sacred name. I and mean, this is the name of God. This is the name that God gives himself. And so when Jesus says this, all right, when, when he answers it, he says, I am he. Actually, he's not even in the Greek. It's not even in the original language. He's using the name of God and the power just like emits from it, and they all fall down on the ground. All right, it's just, it's just crazy. You'd think they would be second-guessing this whole, you know, arresting Jesus thing, but they don't. It says, then he asked him again. He says, oh yeah, who, who is it that you're seeking? And this time I bet in a lot more meek, timid way, you know, they're like, oh, um, Jesus of Nazareth, sir. You know, if it's not too much trouble, if you could just, just come with us. We could come back later if, that's, if, if that would work out better for you. You know, they all, as they're all getting up off the ground. And he says, I told you, I am he, Jesus replied. So if you're looking for me, he says, let these guys Go. Now, who's he talking about? Who's these guys? Well, that's Peter, James, and John that are with him, that are behind him. All right, verse 10. He says, Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, he drew it, struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his right ear. Okay, just kind of entered in there. Um, and basically, Peter's a little late to the party, right? Think about it. Peter's been sleeping. He's been napping. It's been a, it's been a you know, this is in the middle of the night. At this point, he's fallen asleep. He's taken three, at least three naps already. And, uh, and Peter, he, he doesn't know exactly what's going on. Remember, Peter is, he uh, believes what all the Jews believe, that Jesus is here. He's going to establish his political kingdom. They're going to separate from Rome. And uh, this is going to be awesome. They're going to be a country again. And Peter's going to get some sweet job. And he loves Jesus because he's, Jesus is, you know, he's one of Jesus' good friends. And, and so Peter, he just, he's like, well, this ain't going to happen. I already know the ending of, you know, of this story is that Jesus is going to become king. And so he pulls out his sword and he starts, he's, he's going for heaven. Heads, man. I mean, he starts starts swinging. He misses the guy's head. He's not like trying to just scratch the guy with his sword. No, he's aiming for the head, right? He misses the guy's head, but he does connect with it a little bit, and he cuts off the guy's ear. When that happens, Jesus turns around to Peter. He says, Peter, put your sword away. And then Jesus bends down to the ground he picks up the bloody ear, this is what Luke tells us, and then he reattaches the ear to the guy's head. All right, just crazy. Think about how it would be for that guy, just real, just real quick. All right, this guy, I mean, he's obviously against Jesus. He's there to arrest Jesus. Um, Jesus says his name, and he got knocked down on his butt, you know, in front of, and so did everybody else. And now one of Jesus' guys tries to cut off your head, all right? Instead, he hacks off your ear, because you dodge out of it, and, um, and your head's ringing, and you're looking at your bloody ear on the ground, and you're, you, know, you got all this pain in your ear, and then this Jesus guy, the guy who you're arresting, actually the guy who you're arresting because he claims to be God, and he, complains to be, or he um, claims to be supernatural, picks up your bloody ear in front of you, and he puts it back on your head. And the pain's gone, and you can hear again. Isn't that nuts? like we just read over this stuff and it's like just think about that for a second all right and I don't think the guy was going you know and you can't see your ear so he's like feeling it I would assume like oh 
wow, that's weird. It doesn't hurt anymore. And it's back. Did, I not, did that just happen or not? You know, I don't think the guy's going, hey, uh, buddy, is this Judas? You know, he's there. Is it level with the other ear? Did he attach that right? You know, is this, is this, is this you know, that's not what he's going. He's just amazed because this has just happened to him. Right? And he is not a normal arrest. In verse 12, it says, Then the company of soldiers, the commander, and the Jewish officials, they arrested Jesus, and they, they tied him up anyway. First, they led him to Annas, since he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Okay, They all take turns being high priests. Uh, Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be better for one man to die for the people. So basically what Caiaphas, the, the high priest of that year, the, the man in charge religiously, let's say, uh, he goes, he tells, he tells the Sanhedrin, which is like the governing board of religious leaders, right? he tells them, he's, his whole point is, hey, Jesus is going to lead this revolt against Rome, or at least that's what it seems like, because he keeps talking about his kingdom, and he, you know, he says he's the Messiah, and he's the Savior, this one we've been waiting for, but he doesn't believe a word of it. And he said, so what's going to happen is, he's, Jesus is going to lead this revolt, and then Rome's going to come, and they're just going to hammer us, and a bunch of people are going to die. So Caiaphas, what his reasoning is, he's saying, hey, it's better for us just to kill Jesus. We'll stop the revolt before it happens, before a bunch of Jewish people die. Next verse. It says, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answers, he says, I have spoken openly to the world. And I have always taught in the synagogue and the temple where all the Jews gather. And I haven't spoken anything in secret. So why do you question me? Question those who heard what I told them. Look, and he's probably pointing to people saying, look, they know what I said. They were there yesterday. Hey, there's the guy who tried to trick me with the tax question. You can ask him. He heard what I had to say. You know, he, he, you know he, he's basically saying, hey, there's no YouTube video, secret YouTube video, of me saying something in secret. It doesn't exist. He's like, there's no, like, conspiracy theory here. There's nothing that's, like, the secret thing that I'm actually doing this, but I'm telling everybody this. He's like, that is not a political thing going on here. What I have said, I've said in public, and everybody has heard, including you and including a bunch of people here at this trial, so you should ask them. Well, when he says that, it says, when he has said these things, one of the officials standing by him slapped Jesus, saying, is this the way that you answer the high priest? Jesus says, if I have spoken wrongly, give evidence about the wrong. But if rightly, why do you hit me? Man, I don't think I would be able to keep it together like Jesus does here. I mean, if that were to happen to me, you know, if I were Jesus and I was in that position, that were to happen to me, and, and the guy's like, you know, I'd just be like, how dare I say that to the high priest? How dare you slap the ultimate high priest? You know, like, like Jesus could have said, hey, you know, I was the one who set this whole thing up. The whole reason why you have a high priest, this was my idea. And by the way, the high priest is supposed to point people to me. I would have thrown out some more I am's and said my name a few more times and put everybody on the ground. But Jesus doesn't do that, right? He, uh, he, he you know, that's why I'm not Jesus. But, uh, but instead, uh, Jesus, he takes the slap. And uh, they send Jesus to the current high priest's house, which is this guy named, named Caiaphas. They, and they're doing all this in the middle of the night, right? It's a bogus trial, you know, court thing. And, and they're doing all this in the middle of the night, so they don't have to answer to the people. And they're just kind of doing this all in secret. And they hold this religious trial. And at the end of the trial, they decide, hey, Jesus needs to die. 
right? That should be his punishment. His punishment should be death. And they're spitting in his face and they're punching him, but they can't legally put him to death, right? And that's an issue, right? Verse 28, it says, then they led Jesus from Caiaphas, the governor's headquarters, uh, yeah, to, from Caiaphas's house to the governor's headquarters, and it was early in the morning at this point. They did not enter the headquarters themselves. Otherwise, uh, they would be defiled and unable to eat the Passover. And you see the irony in this? All right, here's these ultimate religious leaders, including the high priest, like the, like the main guy of this entire nation, all right? And they're, they're putting Jesus to death, the sinless man. But they won't go into the house of the Roman governor because they're worried about becoming defiled to their religious standards. See, they're unconcerned about condemning an innocent man to death, but they won't walk into this guy's house because religiously, oh, that, that, that wouldn't be good. See, they don't care about truth. All these guys care about is practicing religion. That's what religion is, by the way. Religion is a set of rules that you have to do, that you have to follow in order to get to, to heaven or paradise or whatever it might be. All right? That's not what Christianity is. All right? Christianity is not a list of rules that you got to do to get to heaven. Christianity is saying, hey, I cannot get to heaven on my own. There's, no, there's not enough good that I can't get there. I have to trust in Jesus and what he did. See, these guys, they don't care about the truth. They, all they care about is practicing religion like a lot of people do today, like a lot of churches, unfortunately, do today. It's all about religion. Verse 29. It says, so Pilate, because they won't go in to see him, Pilate came out to them and said, what charge do you bring against this man? And they answered him. They said, if this man weren't a criminal, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. They're like, hey, they don't really answer the question, right? Kind of like a politician here. And they're like, ah, well, you know, just, just trust us, all right? He's done something really bad. Just, just trust us. And Pilate's like, basically, he says, well, that's not a good enough answer. Right, I'm not going to punish this guy because you say that he, you know, I need, some, I need some actual evidence. And so he's like, here, you guys take him back. I don't want anything to do with this man. You guys take him back and you judge him according to your Jewish law, all right? But then the religious leaders, they push back and they say, well, well, we can't legally put him to death. And Pilate, he has no idea that that's what they're aiming for. He had no idea that they're aiming to, to kill Jesus. And so for him, he's, he's a little more alarmed at this point. And he's like, whoa, this is a lot more serious than I thought. Now, something we got to know is that this is a problem for Pilate. Right, it really puts him in an awkward position as governor uh, because, uh, because of his past. He has done some dumb bad things in his past. He's been, at this point, he's been governor for seven years, and he had just made some bad decisions. Uh, Josephus, which is a Roman historian, he actually records some of these things for us. He came after all this happened. Uh, but this is what Josephus writes. He says, one time uh, when, when Pilate first became governor of, of the land, um, he wanted to, I guess, probably suck up to, to Caesar, who gave him the job, right? You guys, you, we all have seen... Um, you know, we all have once in a while employees at work that are just, they just suck up to the boss. You know what I'm talking about? All right. And we hate that. All right. Some of you, you're that person. Uh, we don't like that. But, uh, but here at Grace, we don't have that. Although I wish we would, you know, a little more once in a while. You're listening. Yeah, okay, Blaine. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> But that's kind of what he's doing. So he, he gets these banners with, their, with the image of Caesar on, on them. So these giant banners, flags, and he 
he takes them through Jerusalem, his capital city, or the capital city of that area, the main city. And, um, and he does all this by night. Why? Because he doesn't want the Jewish people to freak out, because they'll freak out because that was actually against Jewish law. Jewish law taught that you couldn't have a big image of anybody or any God or any person uh, that claims to be God. Otherwise, people would start worshiping it. It's, you know, a decent law. But Pilate doesn't care because he could care less about Jewish law because he's a Roman and he's not Jewish. And so he does this thing and he parades these banners through and he, puts, he hangs them up everywhere. And in the morning, the Jewish people, they wake up to all these banners with these images of Caesar and they are ticked, right? Because Caesar claims to be God. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. This is the same guy who was on that coin that we talked about. Right? Jesus, he, or Caesar, he claims to be God. And so they go to Pilate and says, hey, we, we got to take, take these banners down. And Pilate's like, no, I don't care what you think. I don't care. I don't care anything about you. And so Pilate says, no, they stay. Well, then a mob forms outside, and, uh, and the mob starts, starts going crazy. This is a big, you know, big old mess, and they go up to Pilate. They kind of come to Pilate. They meet in the square, and, um, and the mob says, hey, you know, you need, to take, you need to take these banners down. And Pilate says, if you, not, if you guys don't go home right now, I'm going to have each and every one of you killed, all right? And he has soldiers surround them. Well, at this point, the Jewish people, they, like, they call his bluff. They're like, I bet you won't. And so they lay down on the ground and expose their necks and say, go ahead, Pilate, have your soldiers kill us. All right, this is a true story. And, um, and so they go, and, and, and Pilate, he, he can't legally do that because he knows Caesar would frown upon that, and it would just cause unrest in the region. So Pilate, and, and really Rome, loses face with the Jewish people, and everybody hears about it, and it's this big old thing, and Pilate removes the banners, and uh, there's really nothing that Pilate uh, can do. It's just an embarrassment to Rome. Right, a, a few years later, Pilate decides he wants to build an aqueduct uh, to Jerusalem, but he has no money. So he actually went into the temple and robbed the temple treasury to pay for it. And when that happens, tens of thousands of people show up within the streets of Jerusalem. They start rioting everywhere. And, um, and Pilate comes out, and he, instead of having the soldiers surround him like he did last time, which did not work, he just has his soldiers dressed in street clothes with daggers. And he says, I want you to go out, and when I give the signal, all right, I want you to just start killing these, these rioters, and we'll, we'll put this riot down that way. And so he does that. He goes up in front of them. He gives the signal. Soldiers start killing people. But the soldiers Soldiers don't stop. All right, they start, it's way worse than what Pilate could have predicted. They start killing whoever, anybody who's a Jew, I mean, they went to kill. And, and they're killing the rioters. They're killing people who are minding their own business. They're killing good people. They're killing bad people. It's just a huge, huge mess. And it really gave Rome a bad name within the whole region. And Caesar was not happy with Pilate. In fact, the guy who had recommended Pilate to Caesar to be government, governor had already been put to death by Caesar, Caesar. So not good. The Jews hate Pilate, and Rome, Rome's just annoyed by him. And so he's in this awkward political position. Pilate has to decide whether truth matters to him and at what cost, just like we have to answer, does truth matter to us? In verse 33. It says, then Pilate went back into the headquarters and he summoned Jesus and he said to him, he says, are you the king of the Jews? See, Pilate's trying to figure out if, um, Pilate's trying to figure out if, uh, I'm lost, there, okay, no, we're good. I'm trying to figure out if we're on the right verse. Pilate's trying to figure out if, if Jesus is, is king, because if Jesus calls himself king, then guess what? Pilate has, you know, by Roman law, he can go ahead and, and kill Jesus. So this is how Jesus answered. He says, are you asking this on your own or have others told you about me? 
Right? Jesus is basically saying, hey, Pilate, where do you stand with me? What do you think, Pilate? Are you asking this for the religious leaders or are you asking this for yourself personally? Right? And Pilate, when, when Jesus asks him this, he's a little offended because he says, I'm not a Jew, am I? He's like, I'm not one of you. He says, your own nation and the chief priests, they handed you, Jesus, over to me. What have you done? What did you do to make that happen? Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, Jesus said. And if my kingdom were of this world, by the way, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. And so Pilate goes back. He's like, so wait, so wait, you are a king then, Pilate asked. Jesus says, you say that I'm a king. Right? Jesus replied, he says, I was born for this, for this moment, and I have come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus is like, this is the reason why I came, Pilate. You don't understand what's happening here. You don't understand that you're not in control. God's actually in control. And everything, this is, this is how it has to be. Right? He's like, you, you, don't under, you don't understand this. But he's saying, I came to share the truth. And because of this truth, we individually today and back then, we have individually have the opportunity to choose to have a relationship with him. And together, as the church, we get to know Jesus's, you know, we get to know Jesus's truth, right, which is awesome. And not just we get to know Jesus's truth, but we get to share that truth with others. But the problem is, many remain indifferent. When Pilate hears Jesus' response in verse 38, he says his famous words. He says, what is truth? And then he turns away. When he says this, Pilate's not saying, wow, you're right, Jesus. Truth, man, truth is hard to, you know, hard to come up with. I'm not, you know, it's hard to decide what truth is and what, what, what's not true. That's not what Pilate's saying. Pilate's actually saying something very similar, ironically, to our society, saying, Jesus, truth cannot be known. He said, truth is whatever you want it to be. That might be your truth. That's not my truth. See, I think part of him is convinced that there's no answer, that truth cannot be known. But I think the other part of him just doesn't want to hear it, like a lot of people that we know today. He's just indifferent to it. And so he goes back to the Jews, and he tries to release Jesus, and he comes up with this plan to, to let Jesus free, and that, that doesn't work out, and, uh, and he doesn't want to face the Jewish religious leaders, and so eventually he orders Jesus to be crucified on a cross. See, Pilate, he wasn't for Jesus. He wasn't necessarily against Jesus either. He's just indifferent to it, indifferent to Jesus. And so many churches have taken this approach. So many churches say, hey, just believe what you want. It doesn't really matter. Or, hey, just believe in a God. And if you believe in a God, you know, everything will be all right. And it's a fast-growing trend in our society and in our culture, really in our world. Churches don't want to stand up for the truth. And a lot of churches, what they actually do is they pick some truth and they reject, I like this part of what the Bible has to say. I like this part of Jesus. I don't like that part of Jesus. And so they pick some truth, they reject some other truth, and they just kind of form their own religion or their own set of rules. Because they don't want to hurt anybody's feelings or don't want to, don't want to offend anybody who might believe differently. Kind of what's going on here in this situation between Pilate and the Jews. Pilate doesn't want to offend the Jews more than he's already done. But Jesus didn't come to confirm that. Jesus didn't come to say, hey, 
Yeah, there is a God out there. Just believe it. Pick, you know, take your pick. Um, it's, it's all good. It doesn't really matter which. Jesus didn't come to say, hey, you know, just be kind of spiritual, you know, whatever that means, and, uh, and you'll be okay. He didn't say, hey, yeah, if you just believe, believe in, believe in what? Believe in some higher power, then everything will be fine. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, no, 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 you don't understand. There is only one truth out there, and I am that truth. And he came to relay to us this truth. The truth about ourselves, the truth about, about him, and the truth about our relationship with him and how it's broken, but it, and how it can be fixed. Jesus said, no, 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 no. That truth, that, that truth is everything. See, you don't get to decide what is true. None of us do. It's not even an option. Truth isn't dependent on what we think or what we believe. Truth isn't what we want it to be. And to remain indifferent is to reject truth. Like Pilate did 2,000 years ago and like so many churches do today. See, here at Grace, we're committed to truth. I mean, and truth that comes from God's word, right? Truth that comes from the Bible, not just truth that, you know, stuff we make up. We actually have a saying around here that says the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. Okay, that's what we're all about. And if someone ever gets up here on this stage and teaches something that is contrary to the truth that's in this book, right, whether it's me or anybody else, I tell you, you need to leave this church and go find a church that teaches truth. Right? Style will change. 20 years from now, the way we do church is going to look different. And it should change so we can always reach the, the new generations. But what we teach here will never change. Right? It doesn't change. What we, this book doesn't change. See, the church is to be centered around truth. That's what keeps us straight. We can't become indifferent to it. We can't just think, oh, well... It doesn't matter that much, you know, whatever you think. It's not what God calls us to do. And next week we're going to look at the most important truth that God gives us and, uh, and really the reason for why Jesus came. So let's go ahead and, and pray. Lord, we thank you. Um, we thank you for truth. Thank you that we can know truth. God, you're so good to us. We thank you for coming where you, could, where you died for us. You took that pain. I mean, the God of the universe came down and treated horribly, ended up dying for each and every single person in this room. And you did it willingly because of your love for us. God, we thank you for that love and we thank you for caring for us. God, we ask that you would help us as a church to grow in our relationships with you and you help us as a church to stick to your truth. And God, we thank you for everything. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.